This episode is brought to you by One House. Learn more about our comprehensive hospitality solutions at one-haus.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, November 16th, 2016, and this is the 124th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are two very talented chefs who collaborate on a couple of wonderful neighborhood restaurants in New York City, and I will introduce them in a moment. First, as we do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, we're going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to believe in the buddy system. Having a trustworthy pal who you can rely on, both personally and professionally, it's a great thing. It's nice to know someone who has your back, and in return, you have his or hers. So buddy up. It's a system that works. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have two buddies in the studio. They are Joey Caponero, chef and owner of The Little Owl and Little Owl The Venue, and, and the owner, chef and owner of Market Table and The Clam, with Mikey Price, my other guest, chef and, executive chef and owner of Market Table and The Clam. These are all beloved neighborhood restaurants in Manhattan's West Village. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to have you both on, and it's. I find it is. It's a little bit of a mouthful with all of your restaurants because you collaborate on, on some of them, and <clears> and <throat> Joey, you have you have little owls separately. But we'll get into all of that collaboration. I want to start out with your backgrounds a little bit and how you both got into cooking and deciding you want to be chefs and restaurateurs. Well, Mike Mike Price is my sole brother number one. We started working together making salads <clears throat> about 22 years ago. Where was that? That was a restaurant in Midtown called the Symphony Cafe. I'm not. I saw that in your bio, and I'm not familiar with uh, that place. It was a Peter and Penny Glazier place. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, it was. I think it turned into Pika afterwards, or something like that. Uh, and the executive chef was Neil Murphy, who is from the David Burke, Charlie Palmer kind of Ariel River Cafe uh, uh, portion of it. So, <clears throat> okay, I'm familiar with those names. So before you were making salads, how did, how did you, what were you doing? Well, I was living in Philadelphia, and I was going to school at Penn State University. And my brother Lou uh, was a chef at, in New York, and I had an in with him. He helped me get a job at Symphony Cafe, and that's where Mike was working as well. And that's how I moved to New York City. Okay. And what about you, Mike? Uh, I grew up on a farm in southern Maryland, uh, pretty much right on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, so I, you know, we, I started cooking when I was a young kid. My, my grandfather was a butcher. My grandfather, my grandmother was a dietitian. So it was, you know, we never really had frozen meals. So it was kind of something I, 
I started cooking probably when I was maybe seven or eight, making plain rice and baked apples and like very simple dishes. And then uh, I went to the uh, worked at a couple of restaurants in that local area during high school, and then went to the Culinary Institute of America out of high school. And I've I heard of that place. And uh, once again, uh, <laughs> not too shabby. And, and then uh, there, I picked my externship, and I picked Symphony Cafe. So that's that's how I got the Symphony Cafe. That was my extern spot from the CIA. So you two obviously hit it off, but was it was it a was there a conversation in there that one day, let's open a restaurant together? Certainly. Um, either over a ping pong table or over over um, a game of pool. I, I, when I get when I went to the CIA and I did my externship, I was 19 years old. I couldn't even legally drink in New York City, so a lot of times it was a kind of a hassle taking me out because it was like you never knew whether you're going to get in. It was like whatever. So a lot of times, me and Joe would just bail and go play ping pong and and shoot pool or or, or do whatever, and we kind of forged a bond that way. Yeah, definitely. We always said one one day we'll open a restaurant together. And um, our dream pretty much came true through uh, Jimmy Bradley when he he um, offered the when he opened the Harrison restaurant, and that's where Mike and I um, got together, and it was kind of se- the seal on the deal. Like we're definitely opening our own restaurant together, right? And um, a few yeah, about six years later, we opened Market Table together. Yes, to go back a little bit with Jim. Well, Jimmy Bradley now does a a wonderful show here on Heritage Radio Mm -hmm. with um, Andrew Friedman, uh, the front burner. They're on break right now, but I love their show. But I remember going to the Harrison. So um, you also, from the Harrison, worked with Jimmy. There was the seafood restaurant. um, After the Harrison... uh, I moved on. They asked me to be the executive chef at the the first Mermaid Inn in East Village. Uh, And then I did that for... Probably, I think it was three or four years, something like that. Probably from '03 to '07, and then we then we got together and started talking about. It. In the meantime, Joe had had also moved on and opened up the Little Owl, and then been so successful. And then uh, and then it was approached with the opportunity to to open Market Table, and that's when we kind of got back together and collaborated again. Right. So who were so Jimmy was? I would assume a mentor of yours. That someone you. I don't know. You worked there together, at least you, you, sure. you know, bonded. But who, who else in, That's inspired another, you guys? Oh, for inspiration, um, well, Neil Murphy, we both worked for, well, we worked for him. I found a lot of inspiration from Jonathan Waxman as well. But what, what I find happens is, um, you know, you talk about how you grew up or where you're from. Um, and I grew up in an Italian, Italian-American home in South Philly. And that bold, flavorful cooking was a way where I was, how, how can we do this in a, um, in a um, commercial environment? Because it, lots of things lose their essence when you take it from the home and try and reproduce it in, in a professional kitchen. And so um, my training through working through chefs like Waxman and, and Neil Murphy and Jim Bradley, I would always find ways if I was going to come up with a special or something to make it be a chicken piccata. But think about that, right? The best chicken piccata you could possibly have. The best. The best one. Um, and that's what that's what we really love. Um, I, and I've, I was a judge on Bobby Flay's um, Beat Bobby Flay new show a couple of times. And that's what's great about that show is because you, you never know what Bobby's going to be have to make, right? Were you on and, the meatball show? 
Uh, no, I, I missed that one. I don't know. I'm guessing what maybe uh, no. No, but it, I've done a, a, yeah, a I've done, done a few, few and but... and each time uh, these dishes come up, it's interesting to see what a professional chef, let alone a celebrity chef like Bobby Flay, is going to decide how he's going to make this in not a lot of time. Yeah, and it's a very similar process with finding food that you want to serve in in a restaurant. And so, like, my mother used to make a dish called Chicken a la King. And I'm like... We had that. Oh, sure. Well, how come you can't get Chicken a la King at a great restaurant? But um, it's hard to figure out how to translate that on a professional level. So all of these... So getting back with opening market table, these ideas are how did you come up with the menu and how did you collaborate together on a project? I mean, two chefs, two bosses. At that point, you know, we never we never want to have. Uh, there's there's always that saying: too many hands ruin the soup. And so when we bounce ideas off of each other, it's if you know, Mike Mikey's running a market table, it's his menu. So we just talk about food, and if something lands, I mean, I'm in an amazing position to to know that. Somebody like Mikey's going to be able to pull it off, and it's going to be the best. So I'll give you an example, and this isn't really about uh, the, the family cooking. I know Mike Price makes the best Gravlox in the world, and he hates Gravlox. And I'm like, Mike, can you make the Gravlox? And he's like, I don't make the Gravlox. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's the best Gravlox you ever eat. I want some. I love Gravlox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on the menu now. you got to come get some. I do. This at Market Table. At the Clam. At the clam, yeah. okay, because now the clam I know is is more seafood based, so that came up a couple years later. You guys decided to do another project. Yeah, market table opened in '08, and the clam started in was it '13? Yeah, '12. Started building it in '12, and then actually opened in the very beginning of '13. Yeah, and it's not just clams because you have. No, I right. mean it's it's a it's a it's definitely an homage to clams. There's definitely a celebration of clams on the menu in all different kinds of forms, whether it be chowder or pizza or, or pasta and clams, whatever. But we also have a great braised short rib and a chicken dish, and you know oysters and and uh, lots of other delicious seafood. But it's a uh, when you love to cook, you just never <clears throat> limit yourself to a very specific ingredient. Just celebrate it, and that's how we can do that at the clam. And I think Joe and I have very similar styles of cooking. We're, we come from different backgrounds. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about simple, uncomplicated food. There's not a million things on the plate. You're, you're celebrating the ingredients that you're using and not trying to mask them. And, you know, that translates whether you're cooking, you know, seafood or Mediterranean food or new American food. But those principles all go into the same place. You can't escape the technique. Yeah. Well, I love all your restaurants. I'm due to go back. I've been to them all, but I'm due to come back to them all because um, I haven't been recently, but I'm a fan. You know, what's great is the the entire raw bar at the Glam is one of the best raw bar experiences I've ever had. Solo dining? Are you encouraging my solo dining? You know, well, (laughs) you're always welcome solo. Uh, Solo diners are always welcome in the restaurant. What's interesting is what I find at at Little Owl specifically is that solo diners want a table. And we offer them the bar, and they're like, well, how come I can't have a table because I'm by myself? And it's like, well, no, at Little Owl, you actually get more square footage if you sit at the bar. (laughs) And so it's it's just a great place to hang out. If I were to take a seat at at the Little Owl, it would definitely be at the bar. 
Okay, I'll seat you wherever, or you can seat me wherever you'd like. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in for need to get it there soon. And that note, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and talk some more with Joey and Mikey. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Commercial break is brought to you by Rectech, and this track is called Torchlight. This episode is brought to you by One House. At One House, we noticed that most serious chefs and managers don't hang out in brightly lit offices. So we go out in the field to gather the best talent wherever they may be. We meet and talk to them like humans used to do back in the day. We are the people people. Our talent sourcing covers salaried dining room, kitchen, and corporate professionals. We thrive in Michelin-starred, James Beard, and mom-and-pop environments alike from coast to coast. Drop us a line at one-haus.com or at info at one-haus.com for our confidential, up-to-date, and relevant career options, or if you're an operator seeking a culinary or management-level pro. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Joey Capanero. He's the chef and owner of the Little Owl, Little Owl the Venue, Market Table, and the Clam, and Mikey Price, the executive chef and owner of Market Table and the Clam. So, Joey, little the Little Owl just celebrated 10 years, 10-year 10 milestone. That's huge. Time is just going by so fast. <laughs> I can't True. believe that. Well, I mean, what's changed? I mean, since you started, like, how has the restaurant changed or the neighborhood changed? Well, I'll tell you, getting used to living in Manhattan, you just, things change so quickly. Um, The lifestyle moves so fast. The energy on the sidewalk, as soon as you walk out of your building, it's, you just get swept into this, this energy. And and I think it holds true with the landscape and how, and, and how that changes. And I think people in, that live in Manhattan and people that come to Manhattan, um, get used to that and actually expect it. And, you know, things that we, we always try to focus on is we want to make our businesses be timeless, right? So we don't want, uh, we want to be able to manage, um, manage um, from a, a public relations standpoint as, you know, what our message is and have that fit into our individual concepts and let those concepts have their own identity. And so, um, the things that change the most in the restaurants are the menus because um, of the seasons. But what we've been really successful at is finding the um, signature dishes that guests come to expect and love. Um, and generally, what I wanted to talk about earlier was the actual technique, right? So, the, and, and what Mike mentioned about the style of cooking. So that style of cooking, I don't, I don't think we're interested in changing that style of cooking, um, but always getting inspiration from the season 
and listening to our guests and giving them what they want as well, um, which is a, an, an entirely different level of hospitality. When you can go in, well, one of the ways that Mike even found the space for the clam was he was in the kitchen and market table, and the, a lovely woman who owns the building walked in off the street and said, I like your restaurant. I want you to put one in my building. And so, you know, the concept of market table, it's an open kitchen, and, and we can um, uh, really have FaceTime with our guests. And, uh, you know, w- what could be better than that? Then this woman knows Mike, of Mike, of the food, of the, uh, of the, uh, the style of restaurant, and, and, and crave that alone, let alone those amazing clam sliders that he has on the menu. Yeah, no, that's that's great. I love that story. I mean, that's that's the way to open a restaurant. And the, the the style of food that we do, which is very uncomplicated but very welcoming and and homey in a sense, is also the kind of restaurants that we open. So it's important for the food to match the style of restaurant that you have, where it's very hospitality driven. You want them to feel like they're walking into your home, and we actually cook like that, not where it's overcomplicated right. and, and pretentious. I mean, the last thing we want to be is pretentious. Yeah, I, I would never, that word did not come into mind when thinking about you guys. So oh, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're conquering that. No, hospitality, warmth, like, and food you want to, you want to eat. I don't, I mean, I know. That food that's craveable. Yeah, exactly. You definitely, I think, I think when I think of your restaurants, I think of the, that, so. Um, how do you guys balance everything you're doing? Because I know, like, we ran into each other at NYC Wine and Food Festival, and so you're at an event, and you are doing, you said Joey was doing some other events that night. Like, how do you guys manage having more than one restaurant and and do all, all these other activities? Well, we also want to do more building a, a, a strong foundation and your team is, is you know, t- taking your tip is the buddy system, you know, and, uh, work with people that you trust and and maintain that and that takes diligence it takes um, some sacrifice as well and um, you know you scratch my back I scratch yours and into a different level of um, so I'll, I'll give you a quick example if Mike and I were running the same kitchen right hands on every day and it was Mike's day off I'm going to leave that kitchen cleaner and set up for when he comes into work and it's the little the little things like that which really build camaraderie, and then under understanding um, what your coworkers great at and understanding what they're not great at, and then we set goals for people to um, become better at what they love to do. And we use that vocabulary in daily meetings, and uh, we we close our restaurants and have staff meetings and and really just talk on a level of this is a big picture huddle. And the people that we want to win out of this are our guests. I love it. It's great. Everything you said. Thanks. <laughs> Do you guys want to open more places together? Yes. Any plans for any looking for space or waiting for someone to knock on your door and say, hey, we want you to put our restaurant in our neighborhood again? Well, if it, um, geographically speaking, there's the way the way we're set up right now is, I, you know, I I have the my my little corner gem, the little loud. Mike's got his little corner gem, the clam, and we get to have lots of fun cooking at market table together. Um, but I think our our restaurants are small, and we're, there are lots of demand. 
but also demand for private dining and group and larger group dining. And so um, I think a, the restaurant concept is on the back burner for me until I know I, I get that look in Mike's eye and he's like, I wanna, I'm hot on something and I want to do it, and then I just get ready to get ready to do it. But what I'm hot on right now is opening more private event spaces. Well, yeah, because you have the venue, the, the little... Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at a restaurant and you talk about um, from a business aspect of it, you, your guests are turned into their covers, right? And so if a restaurant does 100 covers in one night, an event space really just does one cover. It's one reservation, <laughs> that one party. Um, and so to, to maximize on the demand and to maintain building the brand, we need more space. Even with the venue and a private room at market table and each restaurant being able to do outside catering, whether it be a clam event or a little owl event or a market table event, the demand is still outweighing what we're able to produce just because of the amount of parties. It's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a definitely a growing part of our business. Um, and something that Joe is unbelievably great at. He's got a lot of experience at it. It's something that he also tapped into and did a lot of in LA with his own catering company and, and at Universal Studios. So it's a, it's a perfect fit and it makes a lot of sense for the business. So you're looking in New York or beyond? In New York. Okay. Yeah. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you the questions I had from my, my last episode. I had on Marion Essel. She's a Paulette Goddard professor of nutrition and food studies at public health at NYU. So she has two questions. The first one, talking about noise, what are the noise levels in your restaurants? Just concerned. Too loud. I think if they are too loud. I think it's a fine line. I think it depends on who you ask. You know, you're going to have that, that, you know, that elderly couple who comes in at 7 or 8 o'clock who is probably not going to be happy with some of the noise levels in the middle of the evening. And then, you know, there's that 30 or 35-year-old professional who expects that kind of buzz at a restaurant where you feel like it's bustling, you feel like it's busy, you feel like, you know, that, that you're in a happening spot. And that always isn't conducive to a nice conversation-driven meal. Uh, I, I feel like at our restaurants we really walk that line very well um, and, and do the best we can uh, where we feel buzzed, we feel busy, it's a little bit loud in there, but, you know, it's, it's, it's you not the, the easiest. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. I find, I mean, I, mean, I find most, most restaurants are pretty noisy and I don't even realize how loud they are until I leave and I'm on the street and then I realize I had been screaming for two hours. Right. But, um, but there is something about having that energy that you want. So I think it, I think it is challenging. Yeah. Quantifying it is definitely a challenge. You want to strive to give everyone what they want. Um, but you can also make yourself crazy that way and not give anybody anything. They want. Well, it's hard to please everyone, but it's, it's, I like where you're coming from. <laughs> but it, I mean, if people think that it's noisy, I feel like we try to make up for it in hospitality and, mm -hmm. and being, you know, kind of sympathetic and, you know, moving a table or putting them in a certain spot in the restaurant or, or whatever. I mean, if there's, if there's something yeah. we can do to help ease that situation, we certainly will. Right. Her other question is are there small plates? Because she says she doesn't want to eat a lot of food. Other the menus are amazing. Uh, they they have um, 
an amazing amount of options, in, in my opinion, based on how small they are. Um, most of the real estate on our menus are, are focused on um, dishes that are made with seasonal vegetables. Um, and there's, they are smaller plates, and they're, they're priced accordingly. Um, and they can be used as small plates, or they can use, be used as uh, side dishes to, to share. Um, they work well by composing them and making turning them into a vegetarian entree. Um, we uh, we we did it a, a couple of years ago. We were like, let's let's take this whole section of the menu and turn it into seasonal vegetables. This is market table. All three restaurants. All three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it worked out really really well. I'm thinking about. On a side note, your burger at Little Owl, is that still a, a big seller? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we sell so. lots of burgers. I've had it. It's delicious. We, we offer it um, only during the day. Um, Saturday and Sunday are our bigger sales. And then on the uh, on, on some national holidays, we'll serve it until we run out. So for 4th of July, we just the, past, the last one was... Um, the uh, Veterans Day. Okay, good to know. Little little secret happening, or I don't know if it's a secret if you promote it. Well, but. This, we're not promoting. I thought we were just asking some questions, like what's off the menu that I could get. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about off the menu stuff in industry news. So <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm jumping. What are you ahead. leading to here? <laughs> I'm not leading to anything. I'm leading to a break. How about that? <laughs> BLT. So, um, okay, we are going to take one more break now, and uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. for this break is brought to you by Taxstar and this track is called Third Degree Ruckburns. Back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Joey Campanero and Mikey Price. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name a couple things. It's either or situation and you just pick your preference. So, you ready? I think so. You'll be fine. <laughs> you'll, you'll get through it. I don't know. Are you guys very competitive, I'm thinking? No, oh, I wouldn't say that. No. With each other? Yeah, mean? yeah. I don't know if this is going to be a, like a competition, but there, are, everyone's a winner in my game, so you're, it will be fine. I think we'd like to champion each other more than compete. Okay, buddies. <laughs> Here we go. Eat in or eat out. Eat out. Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail. Wine, beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Communal table. It's a fun game here. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Tipping. 
cooking for a, a walk-around tasting event or a sit-down dinner, like a larger catered event? That's a tough one. Walk-around. That's the one I'm going to stump you on? <laughs> I like them both. It's hard okay. to pick. Okay. I like the walk-around because you can touch more people, I think. That's I like nice. to sit-down just because I think of them as my catering background. Yeah. Okay. A couple more. Seafood or steak? Seafood. Steak. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? <laughs> right in the middle of that one. Uh, I'll take Manhattan. Manhattan. I'll take Manhattan. Cool. That was interesting. I loved it. <laughs> different answers, some the same, some different. Yeah. Great. That's the game. Very cool. So... Now we now we talk the industry news. Um, first article I had was in the New York Times. It was actually in on many of the web, uh, websites, food websites online, about how Michelin Guide in New York City was released yesterday. It was actually supposed to be released tomorrow, and they got advanced copies of it somehow. So the New York Times article was titled, Aska Wins a Spot in the 2017 New York Michelin Guide. It was by Florence Fabricant. And so, yeah, that was that was... I guess a big takeaway that Aska, which newly new restaurant opened, or it's a comeback restaurant, I guess, in, in Williamsburg, got two stars, which is a big deal because there are, there are not. I think they said there are ten total two stars, and the three stars remain the same. There's six of them, and then there were there were some one new one stars, but um, I don't know. What do you guys, as chefs, restaurateurs, I mean, what's your take on Michelin in New York City? I don't have any. I don't. I don't have any. Part of it, I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I would be happy for anyone that would get some some from recognition for their efforts. Um, I don't. I don't even know how the New York Times rates restaurants anymore. Um, you know, Zagat just changed their numbers right. from thirty to four to five. It, it's so hard to follow. I, I with with more. Um, Outlets like this, publications like this, the, the lower my credibility, the, the lower the credibility of these things happens for me. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know how to talk about that. Okay. Well, no, you just yeah. did. I think that that makes sense to me. You know, having- from as a as a chef, like a, if if I were to get some sort of Michelin recognition, I think there was a Bib Awards when they first came to New York. Is that the right thing? They're They're still, not, yeah, it's, it's they still a, do it's the... It's called Bib Gourmand, which is basically almost mm-hmm. a star, if you want to look at it like that. <laughs> so I, 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 it's really, the I guess it's up to the users. I don't know how they figure out how they want to structure the the actual reviews. I, I like um, I like when people talk, like, talk about their experience and then let the user decide. I think that would be a really nice system. Yeah. What about you, Mikey? Um, I mean, I don't know. I think it's there's probably it seems like there's probably a, a decent amount of politics involved. That uh, you know, I think you know, I, I, w- I would assume that opinions about Michelin stars would vary 
very differently depending on who you're talking to as to whether it actually means something to you personally. Are you are you seeking out Michelin restaurants to dine there so you can cross it off your list and say I dined at all the two star restaurants in New York, or are you looking for uh, a genuine experience in a homey kind of restaurant where you know there's that buzz and maybe not necessarily so formal. Um, you know, you, you, you look, I could, I could have probably picked those six three-star restaurants before the list came out. I think most of us could. I'm not, you know, maybe they all belong there, maybe they all don't. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I kind of am similar in thought to Joe where I don't think about it that much. I think about it once a year when it comes up on all the websites and everybody just got their stars, right? But I don't actually think about it. A week from now or two weeks from now as to, oh, I wish I had got one or oh, look who got one and who didn't or whatever. I just, you know, I think for us, it's more about putting our head down, focusing on our businesses and success is in the business that you do, but not necessarily Michelin star or not. Yeah, no, that's well said. I mean, I, I, I like, you know, people being recognized and for you know, seeing that recognition and happy for the chefs and, and, and being, you know, I think it's, there's a positive element to it, obviously with being awarded, but also with the politics of the, I don't know, seeing who's not on this list, but on another list and who's missing. And then all the chatter about who, who is missing is or like who did make between it. between like the Pellegrino you know? list and Michelin and like a little back and forth and this is Yeah, whatever. it's, I don't know, it's <laughs> it's interesting and I do think, I think when it comes out people get very, you know, this is the news of the day and, right. and then, but I, I like what you said, I mean, it's, you know, doing just as a, you know, I think that's what goes back to why, why chefs, I think, should get into being chefs, like you, you want to cook you want to love your craft and just 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 trying to do the best you can do, and then if re- awards come, they come. I mean, that's how I would feel. But I wonder if um, people that aren't chefs or in the business think that um, we, as chefs, really dream of getting that that opportunity to get a Michelin star. Some probably do. Yeah. I mean. But another uh, uh, thought I had about stars was uh, like New York Times. I know look, Little Owl, two stars in the New York Times you reviewed a while ago, and um, Market Table, too. But the clam hasn't been reviewed, correct? So a qu- question I had was, do you, do you want to be reviewed, or would you rather not and just go about your business? I mean, is that something as a chef you're, you know, you're, you're I looking... Think, I mean, if, me personally, if it happens... Great. I would, you know, I, I think in the beginning we were expecting a review or hoping for a review, and 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 probably that 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 expectation has probably obviously dropped off now that we're three years open and it still hasn't happened. Um, I would say that you know, probably ten or fifteen years ago, it meant a, a, a lot more than what it does right now, just because there's so many other outlets for for reviews and for. Uh, uh, that kind of thing where it's it's not just the New York Times review, it's Eater. And there's so right. many different outlets now where people can rate you or give reviews of your restaurant. Um, it would be nice to have, but, you know, it didn't happen, at least not yet. So, well, And you never know if there's going to, I mean, usually it is the newer restaurants that are being reviewed, but then you never know what. What but, surprise you know, might at come? The, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're doing good business, and, and business is, is, is 
strong and we feel we feel good about what we're doing there despite not having the review and people really seem to be digging what we're doing so that's you know um that speaks a lot not having gotten the review and still being successful despite the fact that you, you don't really depend on this you know? right well, they say be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Right. <laughs> Very true. Uh, I, I think the um, New York Times reviews are important, but like I said, it's, it gets very confusing for, for me from being on both sides of it because I want to be able to use it to go out. Um, I really love looking at the pictures. I'm a sucker for food pictures, and I think the New York Times takes really great food pictures. Um, <clears throat> they do. It, it definitely does something for your business. It um, it does something for your brand. Uh, it getting a, getting that New York Times review uh, can can be dangerous for for uh, for the group, right? Because you always want to take that. You think about it. There's I think there's only fifty a year out of the tens of thousands of restaurants that open up in yeah, Manhattan every week. year, mm-hmm. and to have that opportunity does mean a lot. It would it means more to me than than Michelin would. Um, but then you never, you never really just want to not not nail it either. Well, you you guys have been nailing it so far, so I have confidence in 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 that you you um you will continue to. We do our best all the time. Yeah, all the time. This it's not like you you wake up in the restaurant business and say I'm going to do my best today. You know you're. You're, you're, you're the, one of the most vulnerable human beings walking on the planet when you open your doors and you put your 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 business and your reputation and your team. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is building that trust and following that buddy system. Right. No, well said. Yeah, the other article I had was Bloomberg Pursuits, secret off-the-menu dishes at 10 top restaurants across the U.S. And this was by Kate Crater. Just briefly, just touch on this, how there's just an article talking about how restaurants like Commander's Palace in New Orleans serves fried eggplant sticks. Like something I wouldn't know or you wouldn't know, but these like, you know, secret menu items. So I don't, I don't know. Do you have any, you're talking about Little Owl, but do you have any at uh, the clam? I mean, I do off-the-menu stuff. People, you know, for instance, I have a fried clam and lobster slider, and somebody will say, can I have a plate of fried clams? And it's not on the menu. Of course you can. I do it all the time, at least you right. know, three or four times a day. People are like, can I have a bowl of fried? Sure. Um, you know, when we were writing the clam dishes at the clam, you know, we went for a white clam pizza but a red pasta. But every once in a while, somebody comes in and says, can I get the pasta with white sauce? And of course you can, you know. Um, I wouldn't call them, like, something that we make special every day that's not on the menu that's abstract and actually you wouldn't even know is on the menu but you know if anybody asks for anything we do our we always do our best to try and make it whether whether it's on the menu or not yeah what i've noticed is uh, i've always had a whole fish on the menu for dinner and i did a little switcheroo on the last menu change and i put the whole fish on for lunch and um because people were asking for a whole fish at lunch and so now i put it on the lunch menu but now people come in and they're asking for the whole fish at dinner. And so they can have it because we have it on the lunch menu. So it's a bit of a flip-flop. It's a fun game. Yeah. Uh, it keeps cooks on their toes. Absolutely. Great. Okay, so that was industry news. We're going to take one more break and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> Thank you. 
Music for this break is brought to you by Rectech, and this track is called Blasian Fish Cakes. to On the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at the Gelinay's Shuffle number two, and it was at Luxus. Here's the rundown. The location, 615 Manhattan Avenue, Brooklyn, New York City. The concept, some of the world's best chefs, around. they swap restaurants around the world for one night only, and it's a surprise for the guests of who the chef is until they arrive. So my dinner at Luxus, the chef and owner, was Manu Bufara of Restaurante Manu in Curitaba, Brazil. Why did I go? Because it's an opportunity to try the food of an acclaimed international chef, and it's fun. My experience. So I bought my ticket a couple months earlier for a 9 p.m. seating. When I arrived, I was seated at one of the four seats at the chef's counter in front of the open kitchen. We were presented with the menus, Manu introduced herself, and the tasting began. It was at a very nice pace, and then mid-meal, there was a surprise where they had these temporary gelinage tattoos, which I got on my arm. If you go to my Instagram at Sherry Bayer, you'll see a picture of me with Chef Manu and our tattoos. And service was great. It was really warm and friendly, and um, it was really, really lovely to meet Manu. She was super nice. So what did I get? It was 10 small plates, including oysters with green strawberries and lime, cauliflower with nut milk and portaga, lamb with parsnip and mustard, and watermelon with yogurt and celery. My take, each dish was nicely presented and had well-balanced and unique flavors. I thought it was great tasting. The ambiance. So it's an intimate space of about 20 seats. It's behind Torst, which is the chef's more casual bar um, known for its beers. I'd say it's perfect for a fun or special one-night-only experience. Interesting tidbit. So Luxus's chef wasn't there because he was flown to Lima, Peru, where he cooked at Mido, and I did. I was there recently by chance. I did my solo dining experience from Mido on episode 119. Personal fun fact. So last year I went to the Jelani Shuffle, and I dined at Momofuku Co., and the guest chef was Massimo Botoro, and that I talked about on episode 71. Now, the cost wasn't cheap. It was $182. That is including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. I would go to the Shuffle. I would go back to Luxus to try their menu. And I'd go to Brazil because, you know, why not? Websites are shuffle.gelanese.com, restaurantemanu.com.br, and luxusnyc.com. So there you have it. Sounds delicious. It was fun. 
It was a fun evening. Yeah, I don't know. They they plan this thing. They swap all in one nights across the world, and you don't know who you're going to get. So, anyways, to finish up this show, we have the final question. So next week, or actually not next week because it's Thanksgiving. I'm going to be off, but the following week, Jeremy Seawall is my guest. He's an award-winning chef and restaurateur based in Boston. His restaurants are Island Creek Oyster Bar, Eastern Standard, and Row 34. And he's the co-author of a new book, Oysters, A Celebration in the Raw. So, you guys, what would you like to ask Jeremy? Uh... I'd love to know what some of his signature dishes are at those three restaurants, since they're all, like, seafood-based, all in Boston, all kind of maybe in the same realm as the clam, where it's kind of a celebration of seafood. So that'd be I'd love to know. Yeah, that's a good question. What takes off in Boston? Okay, I will ask. Joey, got anything? Hmm. We <clears> only <throat> need one question if you want to pass. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm, I think I have a question. Could you tell me the name of the restaurants again? Island Creek Oyster Bar, Eastern Standard, and Row 34. Um, okay, so I'd ask, what is the chef's favorite oyster? Okay. I will find out. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I can't wait to find out. I know. <clears throat> I don't know if you're going to be your able to. I don't know if you're going to be able to wait two weeks. What's your favorite oyster? I have one. I always would tend to go with the smaller, like, Kumamoto Pacific Coast, but I tend to like all oysters, as long as they're fresh and, you know, well-prepared. And what about you? I usually go for the east. It's kind of what I grew up eating over the west. I like the west if they're on the smaller size. Those big, like, honky creamies, not so, not as much. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I mean, when it's cold outside... Uh, I really like the oysters from Massachusetts, you know, whether it's uh, Wellfleet's, Plymouth Rocks, uh, Duxbury. They do a lot of great oysters that come out of there when the weather's cold. But, you know, when it's warm, you got to start moving up north and getting some stuff from Canada, like Beausoleil's or Hurricane Harbors or something like that. But I really like the Massachusetts East Coast ones. Okay. I guess I could do a whole... Well, it will be an oyster show. And but he's from yeah. Boston, so he'll... he'll yeah. He'll, yeah, no, um, and this book is... But a, Island Creek is also a big oyster company. I'd be curious yeah. to see if if, his, if he has an association being an Island Creek oyster bar, if he has an association with Island Creek oysters. He does, I'm I sure believe. He does. Um, so that might be his favorite, but we will find out. Okay, that's the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, gonna, we're not done yet. We're not done yet? No. Uh, speaking of oysters, Mike's uh, signed up with this Billion Oyster Project. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, started, we started doing the Billion Oyster Project at the Clam. And um, I, I've met them. They're great. And it's Mike's the first one that's pioneering this with clams as well. We, got him, we talked oh. to them about taking clam shells. And last week I gave them about 500 pounds of clam shells. That's a lot of clams. A lot of clams. That's fantastic. Yeah, pretty cool. <clears throat> the Billion... I, 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 I don't know the billion dollar clam project. I, well, I, I asked them about I asked them about changing the name, and they didn't. They gave me a funny look. <laughs> I think they like my shells. Yet. I think they like my shells, but not changing the name. Hey, it's a great it's a great start. <laughs> yeah, no, kudos to you. That's awesome. Anything else? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, and actually, happy birthday to my dad. Today's my dad's birthday. Oh, cool! Happy birthday. Shout out. He likes his shout outs. He thinks I'm making him famous, like Dave Letterman's mom. 
<laughs> right, Dad? Anyways, that is the show. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for having um, us. It was, it's, it's fun to get to know you guys better, and I love your restaurants, and I just say keep doing what, what you're doing. Thanks a lot, Sherry. Thank you. You're welcome. So my guests today have been Joey Campanero, chef and owner of The Little Owl, Little Owl, the venue, Market Table and the Clam, and Mikey Price, executive chef and owner of Market Table and the Clam. And um, social media, I'll run this down. So you can find them at jcompy at Little Owl, at chef underscore Mike Price, at the Clam NYC, and at Market Table NYC. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. And all of our shows are always archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're on Stitcher and we're on iTunes. Also want to give a shout to Sophia, fabulous publicist from Wagstaff Worldwide, who helped uh, arrange this today. So thank you so much. And also to my show's fall sponsor, One House Hospitality Headhunters. Their website is one-house.com, Twitter, one underscore house, and Instagram, one house, and that's O-N-E-H-A-U-S. Thanks always to my engineer, Pierre. I'm Sherry Bayer. Again, I will be off next week having turkey, and I'll be back the following week with Jeremy Seawall. So I hope you'll tune in then. Have a great one, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. See what's down that road, but you ain't going-